Wednesday Breakfast acknowledges that we broadcast from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present and emerging, and acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise sovereignty was never ceded and the treaty was never signed. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Hello, you're listening to Wednesday the 24th of June. Wednesday breakfast. Yeah, Wednesday <laughs> breakfast, the show. I'm Edwin. I'm Jess. That was a beautiful intro, Idwin. I loved it. One of my favourites so far. <laughs> Thank you. It was nice and <laughs> staggered. Um, well, it's already it's already um, the 24th of June. I mean, we've had the shortest day of the year, so hopefully things are going to start getting a little bit warmer. I don't know about you, Jess. It's been freezing where I live. <laughs> incredibly gloomy. Mm. I don't want to say miserable because I hate describing the weather like that. But yeah, it's been on the less brighter side of life at the moment. But mm. that's okay. I, I, see you're in, I see you're in your beanie sort of gear. <laughs> I'm freezing, yes. There's no heating and it's cold and I'm trying to do good for the environment and nice. obviously run up and not use, I'll waste up an electrical bill. So. Very nice. We've, um, I, I have a beanie in the wash and I left a beanie at the doctor's surgery the other day or like the doctor's oh. place. And it's so awkward because now I'm wearing the beanie that my Nana bought for me when I was nine, which is 20 different colors and has one of those tails, like one of the long kind of goes on forever. Is it, tails. is it like a plait? It's not. No, it's not plaited. I wish it was. That would mean it had some more style to it. Like this is just like one of those long, like um, elf sort of hats. And I'm walking around my neighborhood and I know. I know they're judging me. They're, they're looking at me like, why? <laughs> why no, the- no, they are definitely, it's, it's, it's jealousy. Don't even worry because if I saw you, if I saw anyone with a many and a colourful tail, I would be like, wow, where can I get one of those? Where so, can I hit one up? Yeah. Like it's, been, me up. yeah. it's been a look, that's for sure. Um, yeah, sure. But yeah, this week really has just been a staple of like a lot of walks out in the cold. What about you, Jess? Have you been getting up to anything interesting? Well, I have not really been. I do try to go for like a small walk each day. So, but it's getting smaller lately. Um, each time I go, <laughs> um, no, but I've been trying to get through my movies bucket list sort Ooh. of thing. And I recently watched Moonlight finally, which was long, well overdue. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. But I, I desperately want to. It's, it's also on my sort of like ticket off. Yeah, so I've just been like smashing through those, and it was it was beautiful, and especially with um, everything that's happening with Black Lives. Um, matter movement it's I'm trying to get through a lot of more educational sorts of movies like Moonlight which was it was brilliant definitely recommend absolutely I mean not that this is on the same like caliber but a little bit maybe a step Mm. sideways I watched The Favourite last night which is Mm. something I watched uh like last year when it came out and it was just like such a reminder of just an such an interesting story of power dynamics between three female protagonists which is like Mm that's rare you know (laughs) we've had hidden figures and we've had this one that I can think of off the top of my head with like three really complex fleshed out characters um uh, a female protagonist I should say and it's just really interesting to watch like power struggles and all that so I don't know definitely with the gloomy weather it is definitely movie weather 
I think so too. That's, I think, what a lot of people have been jumping to lately. Mm. And actually with that, um, can I just talk, uh, I'm actually going to call out a community uh, media project that's been going on. One moment, I'll just get it up. It's a community media project led by the journalist Alan Clark, who you may know he's from a podcast series. It's, a, it's like a crime series, but he's done this, a special segment on it looking into Indigenous deaths and unsolved Indigenous murders, which he makes the point, obviously, uh, due to our, the race nature of our police and justice system, a lot of Indigenous murders happen in these outback and rural towns and they never get any answers. And as such, he's actually been part of a recent project called the Boroughville Doco. So B-O-W-R-A-ville. It's a rural town. And basically he's tracking the death of three young um, Aboriginal Indigenous youths uh, in, I believe, the like last part of the 20th century. Um, yeah. And yeah, they're currently crowdsourcing uh, to, to get this, this documentary up and running. It tracks the families and their fight for justice. So it's, it's, it sounds like a fantastic project. And we'll put the, we'll put the description in the rundown. Yeah, no, I actually, uh, I did forget what it was called, but I actually came across it today as well. A lot of um, big figures on social media, I actually, I don't know whether you know Brooke Roney, she's an Indigenous reporter. She's, she was on ABC and now she's on 10 or one of those channels. <laughs> um, but she did also post a story that's calling out people to give some help in crowdfunding this mm. documentary, which, as you said, is um, incredibly important and is something that I think we all need to be quite aware of. So, Jess, what have we got coming up on the show today? So, at the beginning of this month of June, the federal court ruled that Vic Forests, a timber company owned by the Victorian government, breached environmental laws when they destroyed the habitat of the critically endangered um, leadbeater's possum, as well as the vulnerable greater glider. I, earlier this week, I spoke to Alexia Wellbelove, who is a senior campaign manager of, of the Humane Society International campaign um, about the Leadbeater possums win and how we can expect theirs and other forest companies to continue on for further victories in the federal court. So she did a really great job of breaking down how the, she hopes and sees the federal court um, going against the timber companies versus um, these environmentalists and what we can expect in the future after these um, coops were shut down. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, especially with like such, um, I think what this ruling has shown is how powerful the logging industry is within Australia. Yeah. Uh, for my interview, I actually talked to Chris from Gecko, which is also an environmental organization about more specifically um, some halted operations within Victoria. So we've recently had a win after this ruling of seven different logging coops uh, ceasing productions. And this is especially interesting as after the ruling that you just mentioned, Jess, uh, the Andrews government actually denied or, or refused to stop logging operations. So the fact that we've had seven different sites uh, shut down productions is uh, a lot of conservationists are very excited about it. So yeah, we'll, we'll dig into that uh, throughout the show today. Mm, very exciting. And yeah, a lot of detail into that ex- incredibly exciting um, ruling. Mm, absolutely. But for now, we'll get on to alternative news. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right down to the real nitty-gritty now. One, two, nitty-gritty now, yeah.
So starting off, uh, we have the follow-up of Rio Tinto, which earlier this month obviously destroyed a 46,000-year-old Indigenous site, the Jukan Gorge, uh, and kind of the consequences to come out of this. So obviously Rio Tinto was massively lambasted for its actions, which had been approved uh, under the government. Uh, and a lot of media backlash and a lot of uh, First Nations backlash as well has prompted a Senate inquiry into the management of heritage spaces by Rio Tinto. So this will be an internal investigation as well as a Senate inquiry. And this will include an investigation into basically how the mining corporation treats heritage standards, procedures, reporting and governance. The Senate inquiry will be due in to be read in October. And there's basically looking into like, this idea of an inquiry, there's been recent research which suggests that these private public inquiries can be somewhat effective, mainly in increasing transparency. So the public actually gets to hear what's gone on within this decision-making process. However, there has been a question of like whether inquiries have been enforceable. And obviously we, we all know the track record of Senate and federal inquiries. There's also a point here that the Senate inquiry can lock, lack uh, power compared to something like a federal inquiry. So we'll, we'll see how we go with that. Talking also on the topic of dodgy mining corporations and their propensity for just cultural destruction, we also need to keep our eyes peeled on the Shenhua mine up in New South Wales, which last year was given the go-ahead from environmental min- the federal environmental minister and threatens to destroy Gomorrah cultural heritage sites, including a burial pathway, large grinding groove sites where warriors sharpened their spears and scarred trees, all of which obviously have huge cultural significance. We will include the minister's phone number uh, in our rundown today, as well as some more talking points about that mine and that uh, particular struggle specifically. We've also seen a continuation of the momentum of the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, including protests outside the Arthur Gorey Correctional Centre, as well as protests earlier last week in uh, Wacol and Woodford, uh, so outside prison centres. Another call out that I thought would be worth raising within alternative news is that Slater and Gordon have launched a class action against strip searches uh, against the New South Wales Police Force and are currently looking for First Nations people in New South Wales to report in. So if anyone within listening to the radio now, uh, you can head to our rundown later today and we will have the Slater and Gordon website to basically contribute to this class action. 
uh, on the top of kind of like also just updating details and stuff like that, it was, I thought it would also be worth the mention that uh, War, Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance, currently have a new bank account and we will also have their new BSB and account details in our rundown. I think this one's especially important just because uh, War have been monumental in organising the recent Black Lives uh, Matter rally and also just spreading information of the community and Indigenous issues. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's a new bank account can be one of those things which if you don't get told about it'd be kind of awkward sending your money to the wrong person the last thing i kind of wanted to end on today was a comment that i think went a little bit past out of the media this was made on the drum about a week ago uh by katrina hodgkinson who is in nationals lmp up in new south wales and it's in regards to the tearing in regards to tearing down historical statues of colonial you know um figures and people who committed acts of genocide murder and massacre uh, Katrina said, I recognize that history is hard for a lot of people in our community. People will reflect on it and it'll either be dark or light. But I'd like to veer this around to tourism. Some parts are, you know, some statues are significant for rural tourism and they rely on them uh, to basically bring in money and all that sort of stuff. That's me paraphrasing the last bit. I thought it was just a really important example to bring up yet again of how the nationals and uh, liberals uh, pivot the conversation and commodify the conversation to become something from social to economical. So if we're talking about, you know, social cultural genocide and oppression of indigenous Aboriginals in Australia, uh, this was just such a blatant pivot or political pivot to saying, no, actually it's about the economies and you're not thinking about the rural farmers and all that sort of stuff. So just pulling out these conflation of ideas, but um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's like, I know alternative media is a space to bring up stories that have been not have been kind of missed by the media. And I felt like this was one of those crazy statements um, made by an, a member of parliament that just wasn't brought up at the time. So I'd like to shed a little bit of light on it now. And finally, a little bit of intention just for 3CR, you know, generally uh, there was a Black Lives Matter stream that went on yesterday and it's available now on YouTube at Deirdre Manawar's uh, YouTube channel. And that had a collection of, a panel of guests, absolutely star lineup of um, April Watson, Ellen Thorpe, Kucha Edwards, Marika Otis, Laura Thompson, Ross Morgan, Millie Telford, Jason Tamaru, and Shelley Ware. So we'll put that live stream uh, link in our description as well. I know there's a lot of links and descriptions. I'm sorry if you don't have easy access to a computer. Um, there's just been so much exciting projects and petitions and things for people to get involved with. So we're hoping to put them all, <laughs> make them all accessible to you, the listener. And now we will jump into a song and start off with Jess's interview. Tell me, say one thing, don't see if you understand. Who one thing, don't see if you understand. What make them a talk about me? Ambition. Say what make who them a talk about me? Ambition. Come and say some of them a ask me where me get it from. Tell some of them a ask me where me get it from. I told them no, no, it's from creation. I told them no, no, it's from creation. Bam, bam, hey,
in Brazil and wiping off the eggshells in Moorabbin. Fascism's on the march and we say, yeah, nah. Yena Passaran is a new weekly program on 3CR dedicated to tracking this rise in Australia, Aotearoa and all around our increasingly warm little globe. Every Thursday at 4.30pm we'll be talking to writers and fighters about some angry blighters. Join me, Aya Kwai, with Ubuntu Voices. Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. on 3CR. Ubuntu is a Zulu word, meaning I am here because you are. Ubuntu celebrates the positive contribution African Australians make to our communities in music, academia, the arts, and everything in between. Come with me on a journey. Ubuntu Voices, every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. None of us are free. One of us is chained. None of us are free. At the beginning of this month of June, the Federal Court ruled that Vic Forests a timber company owned by the Victorian government, breached environmental laws when they destroyed the habitat of the critically endangered leadbeater's possum, as well as the vulnerable greater glider. The leadbeater's possum has been the faunal emblem of Victoria since 1971. 
But today, only about 1,200 adults are left in the wild, majority of which are in the Central Highlands region. Official conservation advice identifies the greatest threat to these species as habitat loss and fragmentation caused by the collapse of hollow-bearing trees, wildfire, logging and climate change. Due to threats to the species and destruction to the environmental ruling, uh, this ruling is a massive win for environmentalists in Australia after years of fighting outdated government's agreements. Today we'll be speaking to Alexia Wellbelove, Senior Campaign Manager of Humane Society International's campaign, about the win. Thanks for joining us today, Alexia. Thanks for having me. So we'll begin the interview by just going through um, the legal proceedings against Big Forest in the Leadbeater case um, and how they began in 2017 by community group Friends of the Leadbeater's Possum. Initially in court, the group argued Victoria's failure to undertake a required review of the Central Highlands Regional Forest Agreements every five years, Um, and this meant that the usual exemption to federal environment laws should not apply. Due to a ruling against this, Friends of Leadbeater's Possum reformulated their claim. Um, They then argued logging operations in 66 coops, which are small areas of forest harvested in one operation, didn't didn't meet these requirements for threatened species. And so the exemption from federal laws did not apply. The court found the Vic Forest breached a number of aspects of the Code of Practice for Timber Production 2014. Um, The breach was that Vic Forest had not, as required, applied the precautionary principle in planning and conducting logging operations in coops containing the Greater Glider. Um, So I guess my first question for you, Alexia, is how was this ruling finally passed for the protection of the lead beater's possum and the process in getting here? Well, you know, it has been a long process and I um, do want to stress that we weren't part of that process but um, been very supportive from the outside. Um, but it's a really important legal case and it's set a really important legal precedent. For 20 years, these regional forest agreements have been um, in place exempting um, logging act, um, industries and activities from a really important federal environmental law that protect our most threatened species. and um, the it's been clear to most groups on the ground, like the Friends of the Leadbeater's Possum, that they're not doing that. So um, the fact that these groups took this case to court is um, amazing and deserves a lot of praise. It's been a very long process. Um, and we really feel that the right verdict has come down because um, it's clear that the Leadbeater's Possum is in a lot of trouble, that um, as the court ruled, the precautionary principle isn't, um, being followed, so these exemptions should not apply. So um, we nearly really need to make sure that um, for the Leadbeater's possum, for the Greater Glider, that their habitat—if we can't protect their habitat—we're not going to recover them, and we're going to, we, you know, we risk losing them. And we are in an extinction crisis at the moment, so we should be doing everything we can to be saving those species. And which is why this court case is so important because it's showing that our effectively our environment laws are sanctioning the loss of species rather than um protecting them which is what they should be doing so um the fact this ruling has come out and ruled in this way has significant implications for victoria but also for other regional forest agreements um that are of concern as well to uh groups like ourselves and other groups working really hard on these issues Mm, it's an incredibly phenomenal win and a very exciting one especially as you said for the extinction and endangered um animals um 
does this mean that logging has halted in a lot of these coops or what has been the latest development since the ruling? Well, I'm not aware of what's happening on the ground, but um, what I do know is that the um, parties concerned in the legal case are now negotiating. It is possible that an injunction on logging will um, come out. Um, and, you know, we do hope that this, that a, a good um, settlement is reached um, that actually protects those animals, the Leadbeater's possums and the greater glider. Um, you know, with these, the Leadbeater's possum, as you say, it relies on old growth forests. It's not something that can just um, pop up in the next five years and they can have the, um, make hollows. They need that old forest. And if that's what's being removed as this through the logging, then we need to find a better way of, um, of managing that habitat and perhaps having just no-go areas where logging is not permitted. Mm. On the same topic as management of these areas, after the latest bushfires this year, the government and often the mainstream media pushed on the positives of salvage logging. Um, science says that post-bushfire logging makes a, a bad situation incredibly worse, um, which the industry and government has clearly been ignoring. What is your opinion on salvage logging and what's happened in, and related to what's been happening in court? Well, Humane Society International always sides with the science. Um, we, as a group that um, is here to protect animals, we do so based on um, the latest available science and we treat that with huge amount of respect. Um, so we are concerned that um, about salvage logging and what impacts that has on habitat. There are many species um, beyond the ones we're talking about today that do that need even burnt or um, habitat they'll be they'll be using that habitat perhaps in different ways but um, it's part of that greater ecosystem so just removing that um, those burnt area burnt areas or salvage logging is of significant concern um, without a proper impact assessment of what is going on there and our concern is that that's not happening and I think that's what the science is also saying so we're considerably concerned about what is happening yeah, and I think there's great reason to be, especially with science backing it all up. Um, on topic, on the topic of impact assessments, um, to do with this case, the Leadbeater's case, um, the Central Highlands Regional Forest Agreements are supposed to satisfy a number of conditions. They're based on assessments of environmental and social values of forest areas. How outdated do you think, and not just this um, Central Highlands Regional Forest Agreements in, um, domestically and um, broader nationally. How outdated do you think a lot of environmental conditions and agreements and assessments are um, on an environmental level in government? Well, one of the big um, concerns over regional forest agreements is that um, there's meant to be reviews every five years and that these have not happened or not happened in a timely way. Mm -hmm. So that is a concern. But one of the um, more fundamental issues generally is that um, here in Australia, we just don't have the environmental data that we need. So this is something that we're calling for as part of a um, stronger federal law, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act. We need to have um, a system whereby we're gathering that data so that assessments are done using the best or the latest available data. And we've got a really strong um, uh, repository of that information. At the moment, we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And that causes... Um, problems all the way along the chain so it's not an overnight fix but if we can start to um, do better on um, getting that environmental data showing trends um, we have the state of the environment reports but that isn't 
isn't um, enough for many of these projects assessments or to the level of detail required. So we need to do much better in this area. And, I, and we're hoping that this is something that the independent reviewer um, who's currently looking at the Federal Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act will be recommending in his report that's due um, at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. um, so we hope that that will be a significant area where um, the government will recognise there's a need to, for investment. Definitely. And uh, along those lines of the government actually heading towards reform, um, I'm going to go back quickly to under the VAT regional forest agreements, um, a number of logging operations around Australia are exempt from federal environment laws. This puts logging interests above those of threatened species, which is what we've been speaking about. Um, this, but this, what's great about this court ruling um, is that it narrows these exemptions and provides an opportunity to create stronger forestry laws, um, which is also what you've just been speaking about. While the court ruling sounds like fantastic news um, and making logging operations subject to federal environmental laws is a great thing, they're still incredibly weak and, and don't actually prevent species extinctions. Now, you've mentioned that your, the report is due at the end of this month and that you'd want to hope for like, uh, improvements with environmental data and statistics, but how else do you perhaps want to see federal environmental laws be improved and put in place. Do you think we need to reform it completely and start from scratch or is it sort of little bit by bit sort of improvements to sort of gauge an improvement in the environment? Well, I think there's no doubt about it. We do need stronger federal environmental laws. Our ideal is that we have a new act um, that sets in place new um, institutions, um, that are independent, um, so that um, ministerial influence is less, um, and that's our that's our ultimate goal. Um, whether we'll get that in this review, we obviously will find out when the draft report comes out. Mm -hmm. But what you know, what we really need to realise is that our federal environment act and any any state environment act need to be there to protect our environment. At the moment, um, our federal laws just aren't doing that sufficiently, particularly when exemptions are given uh, for like operations like logging and then are shown to be resulting in the loss of um, habitat for these threatened species. Mm -hmm. What our federal laws should be doing is protecting, um, identifying and protecting um, species that animals that need protection and then making sure that happens. So just because something's listed on a piece of paper doesn't mean that you should then ignore it. You then need to identify what we call the critical habitat of those species so where they feed, breed, live, um, and then protect them. Mm -hmm. So ring fencing that habitat so that logging or any other thing, developments or anything else aren't allowed in those areas. So mm -hmm. putting a red, a red light over that critical habitat of our most threatened animals and plants and saying, right, in the, if we're going to actually get out of this extinction crisis that we're in, how are we going to do that? And the only way is to protect that critical habitat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why the RFAs um, fall down because they don't do that. They actually log that critical habitat as this court case is so... Um, demonstrated so well um, and you know that's due to the work hundreds of thousands of volunteer hours over the years that's demonstrated this it's gone into this case and years of court proceedings and so it's really hard to demonstrate that in court so that's why this win is so significant but we do need to do better in environmental um, laws and say okay if we're going to protect our unique wildlife how are we going to do that and it's not easy but it's definitely the right thing that we need to do. Mm, as stereotypical as it is, actually identifying and then putting in action into place. Um, That's right. 
my one of my last questions is um, the timber industry has since called for state and federal governments to urgently respond uh, to this lead beaters case and clarify the future of regional forest agreements. How do you see communication between environmental groups and environmentalists and, and timber industries? And do you think that there is any way to work together or come to some sort of agreement? Or do you think it's going to be a really hard, long battle between trying to create a new agreement? Um, I mean, I think as listeners will know, it has been a long battle over many years. I think it's, you know, I don't like to to put words in the mouth of people who've been working on this for decades. Um, but I can't imagine it's a battle that's going to be easily won. There's um, many different perspectives in play. Um, but I do think we need to figure out how we can have um, better protection for our unique wildlife if we want to and, and have a logging industry that doesn't impact on that. And um, that's by no means an easy conversation and I don't think it's going to be over any time soon, um, which is why we need the laws to help us, right? So we need to make sure that, that there's a strong legal basis that, that enables that and we don't have environment laws that actually um, cause extinction. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not something that's going to be resolved anytime soon, but we hope that we can... Um, make good progress in this current review and get our laws stronger and then those negotiations will no doubt continue at a state level and beyond um, but we hope that this court ruling has really helped to change the frame of um, where things are going and, and that um, industry is in industry increasingly you know all different types of industry not just logging are recognizing that they have a um, social license and then they have to deliver certain protections for the environment mm -hmm. and logging is no different from that. Great. Thank you so much for that, Alexia. It's incredibly exciting and hopefully the momentum continues to improving and sort of figuring a lot of these problems out. Um, for listeners at 3CR, how can we get involved to help the forest fight? Well, I think it's um, important to, um, you know, wherever you can speak up, whether that's at a federal level with this ongoing review of our federal laws, which impact every corner of our country, um, or state laws as they get reviewed. Um, but, um, yeah, speaking out, writing to their local state um, uh, member of parliament or federal member of parliament about how they feel about these issues is a really good first step. Thank you again for joining us today, Alexia. Thank you.
get your copy of 3CR's magnificent book. It's a stunning history of the people, programs and issues at this station since 1976. On sale now for the amazing price of just $20. Pick one up at the station or jump online and place your order. Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR. On sale now for $20. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming, um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully, it goes, it keeps going. You know, like it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor, because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR and now we're heading into our tram thought for today as it, this is I feel very very strongly about this and I know Adam I've just spoken to you about it and you do too um, I couldn't go past it um, this week after the news broke in the media um, so as part of a plan to create job-ready graduates this is a quote, job ready graduates. Education Minister um, Dan Tihan has announced changes to funding rates for university courses across Australia. The minister said that 
he project, uh, the projections prepared for the COVID-19 pandemic showed that in the next five years, it is expected that the majority of new jobs will require tertiary qualifications. Almost half of these new jobs will go to someone with a bachelor or higher qualification. Before we get into more details and statistics, I'd first just like to ask Edwin, um, what do you think the most fulfilling thing is that you've gained so far from your degree, as I know you're still currently in your degree, and how you think your university degree actually fits into our society today? Like, what is the importance of it to, to the youth of today? Well, I'd first start off by saying that I think university's importance or quality has been diminished significantly over years of funding cuts that we've seen at a federal level. So, I mean, my family lives and breathes university life (laughs) and time and time again, we have seen like just cuts or or education made more and more inaccessible to individuals. Mm -hmm. So I think I think also uh, this is just speaking on kind of more of a cultural, like a, the political, the, the priorities Australia has set out. University courses are seen as kind of like a piece of paper rather than, yeah. you know, some sort of like, wow, you've developed, you know, you've, you've upskilled Australia. It's very much seen as like um, someone put it to me recently, a university course, the only significance it has is showing us that you have dedication to something for three years, right? Yeah. And that's a very, very practical, pragmatic, jaded, maybe cynical way of looking at it it's not this idea of more like you know no it's good to have an informed educated public so i'd start off with like that as a prefix i think university Mm. courses culturally are regarded very very as very very little um especially within the corporate world which we're we're geared to Mm. that being said i of course uh, I, of course, that's a presumption. I strongly believe in university. I think my favourite thing has been access to resources and libraries and papers that I, I would not get otherwise and programs. Mm-hmm. It has been access to people and l- collective learning. I think team projects and stuff I've really enjoyed. And it's been a wonderful, I mean, it's a wonderful excuse to spend three years experimenting, messing up and learning. So it's like mm-hmm. you're getting you are getting to spend three years of your life dedicating yourself to just improving. (laughs) Uh, So that would be kind of like my, my overall favorite thing from university is I love, I like the, I like the uh, space to actually just continue interests and, and have that supported by so much rich academia. Hmm. Um, I am of the exact same opinion. I only recently graduated last year. Um, uh, I finally did find a job. (laughs) It did take me a while, but I think, what I got out of it also was it wasn't so much the what I was getting at the end. It was the journey that I was able to take during that course. Um, I was able to try things that I hated <laughs> and try things that I loved and find um, my passion and what I wanted to do in the future to help society. <laughs> and that's, I think, what a lot of people are doing their degrees for. This I just wanted to mention a tweet, which sort of summed up a lot for me. Um, it is by a complete random, but did get a lot of, um, a lot of uh, coverage. Um, it says, shout out to all the government ministers who attended university between 1974 and the mid-1980s, free, um, whoever it might be. Um, can't be bothered looking up as I'm currently doing my full-time job based on my arts degree. And I feel like that really just, it's that whole, it's, it really is, it's just they're thinking in lines of the corporate world, how to better build the economy, uh, not really looking out for us and what we want to do. It's more of like a controlling sort of dictating over our education. Um, so I'll get into some stats now. Under this new plan, um, students doing teaching, nursing, clinical psychology, English and 
languages will pay 46% less for their degree, as this is what the government deems as important and what we need for the jobs of the future. Students in agriculture and maths will pay 62% less, while those studying science, health, architecture, environmental science, IT and engineering will be 20% better off. Um, however, the student contribution for the humanities will go up by 113% and the costs for law and commerce will jump by 28%. So the rationale behind this from the government is to encourage students to select courses with the best employment outcomes. Um, I'm along the train of thought this is prohibiting and controlling individuals from studying and following their passions. On first hearing this news, what did you actually think of the proposed plans? Do you think that this, these plans will meet the government's purpose with encouraging students to study the targeted sectors or will it kind of do the opposite? What are you, what are you thinking on that? Well, when I heard about it, I was quite outraged. Um, and it's been interesting collecting different people's experiences because people have been a, on a bit of a continuum of like how much this will actually affect things. There is the point that uh, they have found through research that cost isn't one of the biggest influences in what people study. So like students don't necessarily consider cost. They consider more what they want to do or what they see as a, a good profession to go into, like, you know, medicine or doctors, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, do I think it will meet the government's purpose? No, not at all. Um, partially because the Australia has destroyed its industry, destroyed jobs, <laughs> destroyed, for example, its STEM services. The CSRA for one has been completely gutted which means that what graduates are going to come out of their program all fresh-eyed ready to go into their job relevant courses and are going to have what no nothing at the nothing at the end of it i do also deeply deeply worry that um this is making education just inaccessible so i mean i i know i just mentioned cost isn't always an impactor but i this will definitely be cutting out people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds and students from those positions and one of my friends is actually planning to do the same courses that I am currently doing. And if this goes through, she will be paying more than double for that in her hex debt, uh, especially as the fact that we saw that the hex debt threshold repayment scheme has actually lowered from something like 56,000 to now below minimum wage. This means we're going to be paying back this larger debt at a time in our lives when we can't necessarily afford it, you know, minimum wage we already know is near impossible to live on. So there's just a combination of factors which I think just makes this quite ludicrous and very, very scary, I think, because it sets a really uncomfortable precedent. I mean, all the stuff he's like, all the stuff that Scott Morrison, David Turan's kind of encompassed as job relevant. And by that point, not job relevant, all the not job relevant stuff as all the critical thinking subjects, all the stuff that, you know, teaches you different ways of doing economics or politics or, or being critical and analytical about, you know, the stuff you read. Like this seems to me as a little bit of a war on, um, on critical thinking. And I mean, this is my personal belief, but I think Scott Morrison is definitely out to, uh, out to, against the critical thinkers and would like to dumb down Australia. And this is one of the ways in which I think he almost is kind of sneaking to achieve it. Well, yeah, that sort of leads into my next sort of question. It was, um, I'm sort of questioning what does this sort of show about the government's agenda for how they see and want Australians to become in the future? Like, do you putting how ideal do we really think it is that we should be putting university rates on a scale of importance in regards to pricing? Like, it's there's so many countries all over the world, Norway, Finland, a lot of European countries, France, who offer free or low cost education. 
Mm. Um, and as you said, they, this means that lower income earning students will be encouraged to take part in further education. There will be no student debt, which, as you said, I didn't think of when I got into my course. I was like an 18-year-old kid just out of uni who'd never been taught about any side of financial education. Um, I had no idea. Um, but that sort of thing I don't even think we think about. Um, there's also less control and more freedom in choosing what we love to study, which is also what we've said, and more people will be inclined to be educated. Do you just think, do you just, what, like, what do you think this says about the political party in charge of our country right now? I think it says, I think it suggests a few things. The first of which, I mean, it's okay. I like, I do like the idea that they've lowered the entrance to certain things. It's great to see a few different subjects, which don't usually get a look in, get a bit of more of a like availability and accessibility. So woohoo on that train. I do think this is just another symbol of um, the liberal government uh, commodifying or commercializing education, turning it into a product, turning it into making creating the scarcity like you know and and creating this idea of like um only the wealthy get education or the education they want so i think it's terrifying because it shows how yet again i mean i said this in alternative news it's the liberal party making a social issue or making a you know this 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 idea a, the social concept an economical concept and commodifying it and the more we turn you know students into customers the more we corrupt in my belief education uh that also uh, just touching on what I said before, like critical thinking is so important. That's why we study it at a high school or a primary school level, removing law economies, like politics. These are all critical humanities things. These are, these are what teach you history and, you know, poetry and teach you to read deeper into things. Um, and I think it says a lot of a government that doesn't want to necessarily support that or wants to make that a bit harder. Can I also point out also like the ATAR currently stands as the way that we rank and classify our, our, you know, our different like levels of like what's accessible to people or not. And I don't agree with ATAR either, but that's one way of like, like they've already lowered teaching entrances before in the past to increase the amount of teachers. So that was a way that we could do it, which didn't necessarily cost more. Um, yeah. So that, that's another issue I have with it. Not only that, literally most of the cabinet are arts laws and economies majors it's That's such a hypocritical thing yeah it's yeah, almost like it's, they it's want like a, it's just a completely aristocratic element to the entire political realm of our country and we uh it's just completely inadequate that this is actually happening like i as you said mentioned that the atari is based on this sort of principle except not a money money matter it's just like your, your brain power basically and just dropping it so more people can go into those sectors of university mm. degrees you've already sort of answered this but if if we were ever going to make education free in australia how is that even possible like are we at a stage that that could even be possible obviously it would be a taxpayer issue and we'd have to really build and work on it to get to a progressive low-cost mm. um education or further education do you really think it's possible for our nation to be able to do like are we going to keep missing out or honestly I'm pretty, it just seems like it's quite it's, it's well passed especially when we're pushing the increase and the mm. pick and choose for yeah, just looking at the what the Liberals have done to denigrate universities, yeah. I, I don't 
I don't think we have the political will, especially also the demonization or the vilification of the Labor Party and figures such as Gough Whitlam with their free education schemes. We've just moved <laughs> so away from that and so away from, you know, that sort of successful thing. It's also the fact that we're in a recession. Our economy has tanked itself because it, was, yeah. it wasn't very sustainable. It's, it's not built on sustainable lines. It's built on extractive, exploitative lines. And so we, we probably wouldn't have the ability to put that infrastructure back in place. Um, so unfortunately, it seems like it's something that, that stays kind of out of reach for the moment. Yeah. I would like it, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so we're very hopeful for it. Um, we would love that, but it seems quite gloomy and pretty unfair to all of us who would, and to everyone that is about to step into their next sort of passage in their life. Mm. But thank you for joining me on Champ Thoughts today, Adwin no thank you (laughs) thank you jess and i mean this is an extraordinarily frustrating thing and if anyone like listening does have a different perspective because we are obviously in a similar bracket with university please please do text us in or send a message uh to yeah 3cr or something like that because it'd be interesting to gauge what the people's reactions i had a very different reaction to my parents and i had assumed it was going to be similar so you know let us know if you if you have a different thought I'm ready. 
Okay, so today we return to a story at the start of this month where protest and pressure from traditional owners, regional communities and climate and conservation groups has resulted in the shutdown of logging operations in seven of Victoria's logging coops. This includes land in Mount Cole, Warbore, Talangi, Big Pats Creek, Camperville, Lakes Entrance and Nuji. Now, we've been following this story kind of or part of this story with our coverage of logging action up in King Lake and the protests that's been happening up there. But it really comes as part of a much wider challenge to stop Vic Forests, the state business in charge of forest management in Victoria, um, from its statewide practice of extractive and exploitative logging of some of our most protected natural habitats. I have Chris on today from Gecko uh, and from the protests around the, this um, logging halt to talk a bit more about this recent win. So good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you going? Good, thanks. Um, starting off, I just wanted to get kind of what your part has been within this protest and this, this recent developments. Uh, yeah, so I've been s- sort of actively involved in supporting, supporting the protests and also helping out, helping out on the ground and also doing media stuff um, which has been really amazing. It's been, yeah, it's really ramped up over the last month and it's very exciting, exciting to see that. So it's a great thing to be involved with. Absolutely. And um, this kind of logging halt comes potentially as a consequence of a federal court ruling at the end of May, which recognised that Vic Forests had breached uh, provisions under its code of conduct and recognised that past and and proposed logging in Victoria has a significant impact on vulnerable, you know, greater glider, um, populations, but also critically endangered species such as the leadbeater's possum. Could you tell us a little bit about more about this federal court ruling and I suppose the significance it's had in Victoria or the effect it's had? I suppose, yeah, the judgment um, that was handed down by Justice Mortimer just a few weeks ago, really, it's just an absolute scathing, uh, uh, yeah, judgment on on. Vic Forest current practices and also implications for their future practices as well and really it was over 60 coops that were subject to the case which um, some of those had been logged some of them uh, there were plans to log them but uh, yeah it certainly has wider implications for other areas of forest in Victoria uh, which contain those threatened species the the greater glider and lead beaters possum so uh, it's an incredible win for Friends of Leadbeater's Possum and Environmental Justice Australia who represented them. And really, I think the, the whole conservation movement in Victoria was really celebrating and, and it, was a, it was a massive moment of, of incredible pride for, for all of the people involved. So, absolutely. yeah, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible outcome. And touching on that, I mean, scathing of Vic Forest. Vic Forest has quite a dodgy track record when it comes to forest management in Victoria. Mm. Could you kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, I suppose their their their, their culture of practice or their practice? Mm. One of the key things that the um, that that the judge uh, ruled on was um, was talking about how there's there's a very uh, large discrepancy between their their sort of documents and what actually happens on the ground. So 
they sort of have this public this public image or this face that says that they're protecting threatened species or changing their changing their logging habits, but really on the ground it's very it's very different, and they're still they're, they're still sort of operating under an industrial clear felling uh, practice, mm. um, and so yeah, I think. I think it certainly highlights the fact that there's there's real it, cultural issues and systemic problems with, with the company uh, that shows that they're not they're not changing their practices, they don't alter their practices uh, when there's certain species found, and and so and yeah, I suppose talking about this like this corporate practice or, or this current practice by Vic Forest. This has really been in conjunction with the Andrews government, which has been allowing a lot of this to go unchecked or, or pass. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed within kind of the discussion around this conservation groups pointed out that despite the decision by the federal court, government had still sanctioned a lot of this logging to continue. Could you kind of tell us, tell us a little bit about the Andrews government's approach to this? Um, yeah, I think the Andrews government has pretty much shirked all responsibility and there was actually during question time um a greens uh greens member ellen sandell brought it up with the premier to sort of try and get a statement around um well this federal this federal court ruling has come out which is saying that uh logging that potentially all logging in in victoria is is illegal Mm. uh and what's the premier's sort of position on that and 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 certainly um uh, as politicians tend to do, they sort of um, yeah steer away from from the issue, uh, and so really we just see no responsibility being taken by the government that they're actually illegally logging these mm-hmm. these areas of threatened species habitat. So it's sort of this yeah real corrupt uh, corrupt situation where the government is is not following its own laws. Absolutely, and I suppose this also comes after the, um, the the summer we've just seen, where we saw habitats, wildlife, uh, just completely devastated, and a lot of forest and a lot of natural, mm. you know, protected spaces that have never burned. Burn. I suppose what's mm. the what's the toll of the fact that the Andrews government has and you know enabled by Vic Forest, they've they've continued to extract and log um, after after we saw a huge environmental no destruction in earlier this year mm. yeah I, I, I could definitely could definitely say I, I i believe that the that the government has done absolutely nothing to protect certain species that were impacted by the fires and again it's being left up to citizens to to hold the government to account and as well um the environment department which is supposed to be regulating big forests and ensuring that they're following the law this is the federal decision and also the continued logging of bushfire affected threatened species habitat like the greater glider mm. um it's really telling of their failure uh to prosecute and rein in uh this state sanctioned um corporate entity mm. that is just going ham on yeah that is just continuing as if the bushfires didn't happen Mm, absolutely. And as you did mention, the case was led uh, in the federal court was led by Fed, Friends of Leadbeater's Possum, um, which has challenged uh, state-owned forestry corporation in six, uh, Vic Forest in 66 coops uh, in Victoria's central highlands. And I suppose seeing as we've seen, we've seen a win in like, or a halt in seven, is it likely that we're going to see them spread across to these other 60 sites or where I suppose where's the, um, the next step within addressing those spaces? I think that the case uh, certainly 
certainly sets an important legal precedence, which which um, which definitely has implications for for other areas and and the potential for further litigation, given that it was sort of um, the federal court ruling was saying that Vic Forest can be charged for for breaching environment laws um, and timber and the the code of practice or the yeah the timber harvesting code of practice mm-hmm. and so future breaches um and it's much more likely that we'll be able that citizen groups will be able to take further litigation and further legal action which mm-hmm. is yeah extremely exciting but also um uh sort of frustrating mm-hmm. that the government and the environment department aren't stepping up and doing these things it's it's being left to really small c- citizen citizen groups, citizen science groups like Wildlife of the Central Highlands as well. They've got a really critical case running as well. It's just a team of volunteers, you know, and it pretty much just relies on the donations of, of people because, yeah, they're not huge organisations. Yeah. Um, it and it sort of ends up being a David and Goliath style battle mm. where you've got these small community groups taking on a, a government logging agency. So, um, and that's why I think... Egypt, um, the, the folks from EJA and the mm-hmm. incredible work that they put into these cases. It's just phenomenal. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, it's interesting you're talking about this, like this point of leverage, I suppose, or this precedent that might create leverage because currently forestry operations are exempt from assessment if they're, conduct, if they're seeming to conduct within accordance uh, with regional forestry agreements. So it'll mm-hmm. be, I, I suppose it'll be interesting to see whether now that we've been able to prove that or, or now that they've been able to prove that Vic Forest is breaking those kind of you know long existing bilateral agreements that they might be able to put pressure on it i suppose when the decision was made from the de- uh, the department from the environmental minister susan lay uh has said that the department would carefully consider the federal court's 450 page judgment and it also noted that formal orders had yet to be made so there wasn't a much of a immediate, I suppose, reaction or, or action at the federal level. Do you think where have any further details, I suppose, come out? And do you think we're likely to see anything from the environmental ministry, seeing as it's we, we've seen in the past that they're quite um, negligent, I suppose, to environmental matters? I mean, Susan Lay doesn't have the greatest track record of that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think that uh, certainly. Uh, there's elements of um, the federal federal environment laws, the, the EPPC Act, which is currently under review, but already there are news articles and stories coming out about trying to fast-track approvals for um, uh, projects, I suppose, that have environmental, uh, that have devastating environmental impacts mm-hmm. um, and sort of this cutting of green tape uh, as, um, as the minister and the prime minister, the environment minister and the prime minister have, have has referred to it, which is really quite shocking and scary, given given the rapid decline of threat of threatened threatened wildlife and fauna and flora. So, yeah, it is it, it is sort of concerning, um, but yeah, there's as the final orders haven't 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 been passed down yet, and it'll be probably another month or so before uh, those orders are 
are passed down. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what happens in the next few months months and the response from state government and federal government mm. as a result of final orders. Mm. And as you said, I suppose the protests have been ramping up and like attention has been drawn towards this. So how can, I suppose, people get involved? Um, what, what would you recommend as people getting involved? Because especially with COVID-19, you know, group protests, putting bodies online has been somewhat jeopardised or compromised. What, what would you suggest is the most effective way to getting involved? Um, so, uh, certainly, I, I think um, continuing to email and call uh, our state politicians, so Daniel Andrews, Lydia Ambrosio, the Minister for, Envi- for Environment, um, and Jacqueline Symes, she's the Agriculture Minister in charge of Vic Forests. And really, I think... Uh, just continuing to keep up that pressure and to talk about the fact that Victorians want these forests protected. There is absolutely no social licence to log these forests and and or, or, or really in, um, they're in legal, legal murky waters. And so, yeah, it can, continuing to get, keep that messaging going and to, and to talk to local politicians about that is really important. Also, um, there's a few groups who uh, are on the ground doing that direct action Mm. and they are volunteer groups and so donating to those groups is is really important and all the money that goes to say like one of the key groups forest conservation victoria that does a lot of work um all of the money that's donated to them goes directly into more actions and and on the ground actions so if people have the means to donate that's yeah that would be really incredible as well fantastic well thank you so much chris for joining us Thank you for having me. No problem. Life just gives me lemons And I don't like lemonade Sticky situation Look at this mess I've made So, 
Here you are, too foreign for home, too foreign for here, never enough for both. Ijuoma Umebinyo, Diaspora Blues. What makes you smile and adds a spring to your step? What does it mean to belong? And how do we build a home away from home? Diaspora Blues is a show that contemplates what is and what could be. Join Busto and Bigwa every Monday at 2.30 on 3CR Community Radio. Produced by Yan.